0: Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience.
1: Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today, we're talking about horror games and how to run them properly. I'm joined here by my host, Steve.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm Steve. And yeah, we, we thought uh, being as... You know, this'll release the, the week of Halloween that talking about horror games is
1: kind of appropriate. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people who are new to the hobby or have only played D and D, that have heard maybe of one or two horror games, but don't know what's actually out there, or don't know the breadth of what a horror game in the tabletop RPG hobby can be.
0: Yeah, there I think there really are I think there's a lot of misconceptions around horror as well. Another thing that Quite frankly, just because you want to do a Halloween one shot doesn't necessarily mean that it's horror. It can just be spooky and kind of creepy. Horror, in my mind and in the mind of many people who are more into that genre of gaming, brings up a completely different element, completely different mindset, so to speak, as opposed to just, ooh, it's a lot of zombies and skeletons and whatever, which. Look, if that's what you and your group enjoy and that's what you want to play around Halloween, great. But horror and horror gaming, I think, it's a whole subgenre. And it's really, really vibrant and active. And there's a lot of just amazing content out there. You know, we've mentioned bits of it. But it goes back to really the game that, that really brought it into RPGs was called Cthulhu back in, I believe, the early 80s. So I mean, you know, it's it's been established for a long, long time.
1: Oh, absolutely. One of the things that I think is really important with horror is understanding your understanding the different types of horror. So it's 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 a lot like horror movies. There are different types of horror movies. There's different types of horror games. There's everything from survival, being stranded somewhere, being lost, to visual grisly horror to cosmic horror, which is what Call of Cthulhu falls under, that, you know, fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. One of the big things that gets glossed over a lot of times is that there are games that are horror RPGs that are often forgot to be horror RPGs, so stuff like, um, I, I talked about this to you in person the other day, Vampire the Masquerade, in my opinion, is a horror RPG. It's a game about either existing as a vampire, living in that world, trying to trying to either improve your rank or follow you know whatever the story is it's about being a monster in a world like and and there's a few vampire games that are not necessarily that and there's a few settings in vampire the masquerade that aren't necessarily that but it is very much this in my opinion this horror game it's that's what it is when it comes to my mind
0: Oh very much so. and I mean, I know there are a number of, of people who consider it that way. You know actually, I considered had we not kind of realized, oh crap, Halloween's coming, we should do an episode about this. I would have liked to try and get you know some some guests on and maybe probably down the road'll we'll, we'll do a more in-depth look at horror and get some guests on you know that that are into vampire or. Call of Cthulhu or you know more heavily involved like I've played Call of Cthulhu a decent amount although most of it was years ago I did play a little bit of Vampire back in the day as well but it's advanced you know in system design and everything else so I'm just not familiar with with the current editions and so forth and I know there are people that that is that is the game they love
1: Oh, yeah. As a a new RPG player, this sort of baffled me that there were long-running Call of Cthulhu campaigns, and I didn't know that existed. It was just sort of an odd thing for me. I I knew Call of Cthulhu from hearing one-shots or hearing just bits and pieces of it, but not that there were people that played for session after session after session.
0: There are a couple of, one notably, just absolutely legendary pre-written campaigns for Call of Cthulhu that, the one that many people point to as being one of the best pre-written adventure modules, if you will, in RPGs, period, is the Masks of Narlathotep, which I believe was just re-released. And If you get the Deluxe Edition, it's rather pricey, but my understanding is it is actually, I mean, it is a very beautiful product in that,
1: that edition, so to speak very cool i'll I'll look into it a little bit deeper there are long-running horror rpgs there are things that are horror that you can play for hours on end and there's things that are horror that are best suited to just one shots and then there's a difference between you know what you might consider a horror rpg versus maybe just like a like a halloween something something you might play as a one shot something you might play as a one shot just because of the season yeah So when it comes to horror, let's get a little bit deeper into playing a horror game. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about using tone, description, getting into sort of our tone discussion again to try and drive home what it takes to to make a good horror RPG for your players and for yourself.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, when we decided we were going to do this, I went, you know, scoured some YouTube and, and some other podcasts information on this and i found uh, a couple of pretty good videos on it on youtube one by um a channel called dungeon craft another one was how to be a great gm both have some pretty good videos on it and then also to, to recommend something to anybody out there if you're interested in horror rpgs you're probably already familiar with the name kenneth height but if you're not you should be at this point he's He's one of the premier horror RPG writers. He's done the third and fourth editions of GURPS Horror. He did a lot of work on the latest edition of Vampire the Masquerade. He did, I believe, a lot of work for Trail of Cthulhu. He's the main author for Knight's Black Agents and Fall of Delta Green. But a couple years ago, he did an interview with another podcast that that both of us uh, listened to called Mud and Blood and if you look into their podcast feed it's episode 19 where he does a lot of talk about horror games and how to run them tips and so forth and and the biggest thing that he brought up is before you do anything you need to establish buy-in with your players say look we're going to do a horror game you need to come into that to, to really get something out of it you need to come into that game as a player so to speak wanting to be scared you know if you just go yeah let's all make believe well it's not going to be as much fun whereas if you willingly allow yourself to go into that mental space where i'm going to let what happens in this game get to me a little bit and creep me out and and make me jumpy that's going to add a lot to it much more so than if you're just playing a standard fantasy adventure or whatever as a player you need to prepare yourself to play this type of
1: game absolutely i i think that's one of the things that's overlooked when it comes to starting a horror game and i definitely agree with that that you need to pre prepared you need to get yourself in that mindset it's like watching a horror movie mm-hmm. you can't just turn on a horror movie and enjoy it I, i've done that too many times to myself where somebody will tell me oh no no this movie's really fun and i'll turn it on With the mindset of... Okay, well, this will be something to watch. And then I'll end up either bored, hating it, or... You know, whatever.
0: You're quite into horror films in general, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I I really like horror movies. That's why I wanted to talk about this. Because I... It's an overlap for me. (laughs) Oh, that's... Yeah. I'm not... I don't know. I
0: guess it depends on what you define as a horror film. Because, like, you know, the, the classic slasher flicks for me are just like, eh, whatever but like i absolutely i think silence of the lambs is a amazing movie
1: yeah and the only way it won an academy award is by being classified classified as a thriller but that's a different discussion for a different podcast yeah but i mean look there are very much horror elements to that movie oh it is a horror movie my rant and i'm just going to go off on this real quick because you tuned into the me and steve podcast so you get the steve's side of this uh my rant <laughs> is that the academy award there the academy would never give a horror movie an award without categorizing it as something else so they made up the term thriller for specifically silence of the lambs as a way of giving it an award without having to admit that it's a horror movie just like they gave um get out an award as a comedy that's another really good horror movie that's won an award as a comedy because we can't call it a horror movie. That's 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 genre film. That's below the Academy, but whatever.
0: Well, I think there is a perception that, and probably largely due to, you know, the Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, that horror is all about gore and that type of thing, where... It, not really that is an element of horror and and that's something that' uh, you know I, I want to bring up later but that's not I mean by if if you want to say blood makes it a horror movie then then Braveheart is a horror movie
1: welcome to the argument that horror movie fans have been having for years now <laughs> slasher films are something completely different <laughs> and that's what a lot of people have argued for a long time and
0: well I think you know it, it comes down to... Slasher movies are intended to scare you to some point. But I think horror is about more than that. Horror is about... Well, I'll just bring it up now. And this is something I got from that Kenneth Hyde interview, but he was referring, uh, referencing Stephen King, and that Stephen King thinks that there's, so to speak, three, three stages of horror, and, and he calls those dread, terror, and gore. And so, you know, part of the the dread is is knowing that there's something, but not knowing what it is. It's the the anticipation of bad things, so to speak. Terror is is the moment of the bad thing being actually seen or experienced, and then gore is gore, you know, and and they're all tools, but. If you rely too heavily on any one of them, it isn't horror. It's just whatever that sub thing is. Does that make
1: sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that completely. I think one of the things, one of the big things with horror is learning how to, and this is a weird term, but unsettling your players. When you get settled into something, you're comfortable with it. And I don't mean making your players uncomfortable in, 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 We've talked about the X card in the past, in uncomfortable and dangerous ways. I mean, making your players uncomfortable with maybe a sketchy situation. Something that's, it's like walking across a rickety bridge. You know, it's it's not a comfortable situation for you to be in. You don't want to be, you don't want to stop, but you don't want to keep going because you're worried that something's going to break. And Mm -hmm. getting your players in an unsettled, in in a paranoid, essentially, mindset is a feat to really do.
0: Yes. Well, and, and again, to reference this Kenneth Hyde interview, he compared a good horror adventure campaign, whatever, all of the above, to a roller coaster. And you know, his example was specifically like a roller coaster at a county fair. And so you, you get in and you're going up the hill and clickety, clickety, click. And you're looking and you're like, wow, this is, you know, maintained by some 13-year-old pimple-faced kid. Clickety, 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 clickety and you know you you get higher and higher up that first hill and that's the the kind of the, the the dread building and then you get to the top of the hill and you crest over and you that adrenaline rush of dropping down and kind of that's the, the the terror and then you know the g out at the bottom is kind of the the gore in a sense you know that's the the physical impact of it so so to speak you've just had the adrenaline surge and now slam. You know, and he said that is really the key to to a good horror adventure is that roller coaster of tension with, you know, building the dread and then the moment and then the resolution out of it. But I think to me one of the the key elements you need to establish for a good horror game is that the characters need to feel vulnerable. And this is where I will Probably set off some arguments but I do not think that Dungeons & Dragons is a good system to run horror in I just don't I think that once you get past probably about fifth level with characters you have to use just either big massive monsters or or things that are too prone to swinginess of the dice to make characters vulnerable And therefore, I don't think it's the proper system to run a good horror game in. Let's put it that way.
1: Oh, I agree. We, if you've had this conversation before, but I really do agree with you when it comes to that particular thing. Dungeons and Dragons is meant to make the players feel strong. And in horror, one of the biggest horror elements is making your players feel like making your players feel like they can't control the situation. I think what Call of Cthulhu does really well is making you feel helpless in a situation that is beyond your control. And Dungeons & Dragons' whole goal, the whole goal of the system is to make the players feel like they can control what's going on. They can control the world. Because after, like you said, after fifth level, you start getting into those, I mean, we just played a one-shot last week where I played an 11th level wizard that just was just blowing everything up and just big, massive damage. Mm -hmm. And I feel that big monsters take away, big monsters can take away from the horror of a situation. Not saying that you can't do a big monster story really well, but let's go back to movies real quick. One of the best horror movies with a big monster is probably Cloverfield. And the whole point of that movie is that you're a nobody in that, you follow a nobody in that movie. You just follow some dude who isn't trying to affect change, he's just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And in Dungeons & Dragons, you're always trying to affect change in the world that you're playing in.
0: Yeah, there are people who, and, and I think this is a valid opinion, although I don't think it's the only way to view horror RPGs, but there is a school of thought that says that in a horror RPG, the players are really intended to be the victim, not the hero.
1: I absolutely agree with that. I, I think I'm probably in that boat because I, when I think of horror RPGs, I don't want them to... I don't want my players to necessarily win. I mean, they can, but I want them to walk away... Like most good horror movies, I want you to walk away from winning the situation going, I won, but at what cost?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Even if the the characters win in a horror RPG and win in quotation marks, obviously it's it's winning at what cost. And, you know, that again, that that kinda goes to tone, you know, in that it's it's a thing that you have to set up this with your players before you start playing because if they're expecting to be, you know, the, the big heroes of the situation like like Dungeons and Dragons and you know, Pathfinder, I would assume, and, and a lot of other games set them up to be, and they're trying to play it from that angle, it's not going to work well. Oh, no, not at all. You know, like I said, you need to, to have an understanding with your players before you start running a horror game, because, well, yeah, again, as, as we talked about in the Tone episode and that, that old Sesame Street clip of the alligator with the two different kinds of music... How you look at it can really change the situation and how how it affects you and it affects everyone at the table.
1: Right. And to speak a little bit more on tone, we talked about this in tone, but using things that are more than visual, using auditory cues, using smells, using feels... Like, you, if you walk on something that, that moves under your feet, describe how it moves. If it's soft and squishy, like soft ground, or if it's something more than soft ground. You know, as kids, I don't know if you ever did this. As a little kid, I used to like to poke the, like, steaks and stuff in the meat section. The, like, wrapped steaks.
0: <laughs> See, I grew up on a farm, and we actually slaughtered well, a decent amount of our own meat. So, I got to help skin the animals...
1: So then you know you know about that as well and again you know that feeling of of flesh and meat and like if you don't well think a little bit and i'm sure you can come up with something you know but use feeling and smell and auditory cues and not just visuals i think a lot of horror rpgs just like regular rpgs fall short on their tone when it's just visual descriptions, and sometimes the scariest thing in a horror game, in a horror anything, is the thing you don't see.
0: That's exactly where I was going to go. And the, the one thing that I, I basically noticed across all the the videos, etc., that I that I watched and listened to, uh, is that a key element in in running a good horror game is not over describing things it's leaving things up to the imagination of the players in to a certain point you if if i tell you that that something is big and scary you define what's big and scary in your mind so if i say it's big and scary versus it's 20 foot tall and has a mouth full of razor sharp teeth well maybe 20 feet tall and mouthful of razor-sharp teeth doesn't seem all that scary to you. But if I just say it's big and scary, you're immediately picturing something that is big and scary as opposed to having specific quali- qualities. And so sometimes being a little bit vague and allowing allowing the players to fill in the details in their own mind actually it works better almost. You know, that's... Um, we mentioned cosmic horror and obviously the, the the person that most people are going to point to is starting that genre is H.P. Lovecraft. Well, if you actually get into any of his stuff, he has very little description of the horrors themselves. You know, I think the one story where he talks about Cthulhu, I think the line is something, it's as if a mountain walked or stumbled. Well, that's very vague, but at the same time, in your mind that can be a very terrifying image because you know you're supposed to be scared and so now you're thinking well what would really scare me
1: oh absolutely and that goes back to getting your mindset as a player and as a dm into what you getting your mindset right getting your head in that space of i want to be scared i want to be i want to be disturbed absolutely
0: absolutely and that's yeah you as a player in this type of game you you do need to prepare yourself for it
1: i think one of one of the pitfalls is that players don't prepare themselves for that they don't prepare to be scared they don't prepare to be in that mindset and so you you end up with players that are like even as an unprepared player that's when you as a dm have to sort of step up to the bat And get them in that mindset, you have to work a little bit harder to get your players to understand that this is going to be something that's going to terrify them. And that can be an uphill battle sometimes. You can feel like, um, is it Sisyphus that's pushing the rock up the hill?
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't remember.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but (laughs) you'll feel like the guy that's constantly pushing a rock up a hill. Mm -hmm. Because players that aren't in the mindset for the game that you're playing, and this is in general... Are going to make it difficult to play the game that you want to play.
0: Yes, and and horror, I think, just takes that to a whole nother level. You know, yep. and it, as far as unsettling players, I mean, a, a technique that I've used, you know, and, and you witnessed this firsthand as a player. If you've got players in the mindset that bad stuff's going to happen, one of the things that you can actually use to kind of crank up that tension is to actually throw in things that aren't terrorizing you know like in the um the delta green one shot that that we ran that you played in you know i did that twice where once was a squirrel and the other one was a bee's nest because you guys are expecting bad stuff expecting bad stuff well if you think about it if if you open the skirting underneath a trailer and something comes running out at you it's gonna scare the shit out of you just because it's suddenly something you weren't expecting it to move you know, you're in this case, you know, you're leaving an outhouse and the DM asks you to make a roll. You're like, oh, sh-, you know, what the hell? What the hell? Oh, it's, it's bees. And it, it's sort of a, both a light moment, but it also, I think, and maybe you know, you can speak on this because you were a player, but I think it, it it turns that tension knob up because, oh, that wasn't the bad thing. So what is the bad thing going to be?
1: Right. It's using a cat to like it's using a cat to unsettle the room. Like It really is it's it's you hear something and something moves in the room that you're in and you go what what moved what what is it what is it and there's just a little thing
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm well and i i saw something this week at work that i am going to actually use at some point and you know i don't care if i put it out there because people probably won't remember it and if they do that's fine anyway you know how most modern cordless power tools especially drills and so forth have a light on them Mm-hmm. Well, I was using one at work this week, doing what I was doing. I was actually using one quite a bit, so there's one sitting on my workstation. And I noticed a couple times during the week, that light will occasionally just come on all on its own.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, here's one for you. I worked in a hospital. Oh, geez. And so, when you work in a hospital, there's usually a surgery wing. In that surgery wing, they have sterilization Machines. That's what they do. They run all night. They sterilize equipment. They're anything from incinerators to, you know, just like laundry machines. They Mm -hmm. would set they would be set to trip on and off periodically through the evening. Mm -hmm. You're in a room in a surgical in an operating room by yourself, nobody around, nobody in there with you, in gown, gloves, sterilized, and you hear. Yeah, that you want to talk about unsettling. It's it is literally jump out of your skin, like and heaven forbid somebody comes see you in a section like that. Like if your boss comes down to see you and you hear footsteps, you're you're literally crawling out of your skin. You're literally mm-hmm. just climbing a wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, and that's that's exactly it. And that, like, you know, we just said it, but that ties back to to the buy-in and, and being in the right mindset because. If, if you think about it, you know, if, if your characters are investigating this creepy old building and this basement and you think there's a cult down there or, you know, whatever, yeah, you're going to be on edge. You're going to be something moving. Like you said, a, a cat, anything. That's That movement, that noise, a light, it's going to spook you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so, I think sort of moving on from unsettling players and and setting up different sort of tricks and tips to get your players into a better mindset, let's sort of talk about music and using music to set tone. Especially in horror games, I really like using very light, atmospheric music. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking... Like, when I run Cyberpunk, I want heavy music. I want stuff that's going to get loud when it needs to be loud. But when I'm running a horror game and I'm playing in person, I want to have a little bit of background. Just It's just going to be a little bit of maybe like some light harp, like something that's just going to offset the room. It's just going to be a little bit of noise to play in the background just to get a tone set. I, I think some
0: of what that could do too is is cover up some of the extraneous noise in the setting to almost reduce the distraction for the for everybody in the room
1: oh yeah i i I feel that music is a good addition that gets overlooked when it comes to playing games oftentimes people go oh well yeah I, i don't really use music because i find it distracting i think if you're finding the music that you're playing distracting you need to dial it back and like look into it a little bit more rather than rather than picking especially with horror like I said, I want something light, I want something that's gonna play very faintly in the background and not going to not gonna be real loud. Yeah. Now there are times when I mean, if you want if I mean you can do a horror game that has loud music, that's fine. That can offset that can unsettle a group in a hurry. But yeah, I I think well it's a it's a tool like anything else if you
0: make it loud at the right moment it can help build it or if you can and this is something to a certain point that the one downfall of you know iPads and most of your portable digital speakers and so forth is that they don't have a literal volume knob where you can just creep it up ever so slowly
1: one of the other things is is that you can also induce it like I don't advise using jump scares frequently when it comes to horror. It can get tropey. It can get overused. You can really get your players out of the mindset if you do it. But it is terrifying if you open a door and there's just loud music playing. Mm-hmm. You can describe that verbally, but there's you can just wait until they open the door and then play your music loudly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I heard a, a story that came out of a convention that I'm going to guess was in probably the late 80s because I heard this story in the mid-90s. Because uh, Call of Cthulhu game and the, you know, the scene was playing out and I think they were having some sort of conversation with like this demon or something. And again, this is a game at a convention and what no one knew is that the GM had hidden like a flash pot in the center of the table. And so they're having this this discussion, and you know the PCs finally you know reject the demon's offer, and so the demon gets all indignant and goes, "Well then, then die!" And he tripped the flash pot, and there was a player. They, as the story as I heard it, literally jumped up, knocked over his chair, and was halfway to the door of the hall before he realized what actually happened. And I I heard that the GM got literally. A standing ovation from the hall.
1: I remember hearing that story and I can't remember where I heard it. But yeah, I I remember hearing that as well.
0: You know, but again, that's not something you you probably don't want to do that if you're playing in your house. Because I'm guessing there are things that you don't want people running into. But it's an example of what's possible.
1: And again, like I said, just loud noises can unsettle a room. Loud music, quiet music can help set a tone. And, and also,
0: at that point, too, the other thing you can do is, if you've got that music playing softly, you can drop it out. Yeah. And then that quiet is disconcerting.
1: Silence is, is deadly. You can make people really disturbed by silence. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that's, that's a thing, too, that, like, again, different things that, that we kind of take for granted, and, and having grown up in a very rural area... One of the things that that I don't think a lot of people who have never really lived in, in that type of environment don't appreciate is how dark it is at night when there are no street lights and no light pollution. Right. The one you know, that also struck me was, you know, living in the dorms in college, if you had the blinds down and it was dark outside, dorm rooms get
1: really freaking dark. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, yeah, I don't know, it's... Um, darkness and using lighting and so let's talk about lighting a little bit there's actually a game I want to bring up speaking of lighting Mm -hmm. I want to talk about 10 candles okay I've I've heard of it I haven't done anything with it I really just sort of um, I was doing a little bit of research before the episode I came off on on this my kind of meeple article it's 13 best one shot horror tabletop RPGs for Halloween very simple article and i stumbled across one of the first ones they list is 10 candles and the whole point of 10 candles is that you're to play it in the dark with just 10 tea light candles and you tell the story of you tell the story of characters who were created by the table so everybody sort of writes down a character trait passes it to the left you, you don't really create your own character. The table creates the character that you play. They describe it as ritualistic style chants between scenes growing intense as the room gets darker and knowing that when that final candle goes out it's all over for everyone. It just seems like a really cool when you can sit down. I mean, you could probably even play it over, over the internet. This would be one you would need a... more than likely would need a video camera for. Mm-hmm but it, it seems like a really really interesting way to set tone based off of the fact that we are, at the end of the day, sitting at a table making pretend, yeah. <laughs> making believe. And the more of the game you can bring into the real world, the more you can set your tone better. I know that was not very good English, but...
0: <laughs> well, I think it, it just facilitates everyone at the table getting into the proper mindset
1: yeah absolutely I think that's one of the biggest things that I thought was really unique about that particular game
0: yeah yeah I, I think you there might be a way to set that up you know like you said to, to play online although I think the the glow of the screen is going to to affect it more than I think that's let's put it this way I think it would definitely be better in person.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm just trying to think.
0: You know, but another game, you know, you mentioned that one. This is another one that's on this list that I'd heard of. And again, this is one I don't know how you would be able to play this one online. But it's a game called Dread. And the core mechanic of of this role-playing game is not dice at all. It's not cards.
1: It is literally a Jenga tower. So I actually do have a way of playing this game online. Oh, tabletop simulator which I've talked about in the past has multiple mods for Jenga towers mm-hmm. so oh, that's you can, curious you can play through tabletop simulator
0: no that's fair but yeah the way dread works is that each time so to speak the a character makes a, a choice that could have a, a consequence you pull a block. And it goes on and on. And, and let's say you know you want to go out in a blaze of glory and attempt to do something that could significantly save some of your your friends, as far as you know the characters in the game. Well, you can choose to intentionally knock the tower over, and basically the game just keeps going until you run out of people to have meet their demise. <laughs> but you know the, the the tower itself just provides a, a great great way to build tension just by the nature of what it is but yeah Dread and I've heard it I've heard a, an actual player too I think on the One Shot Network they did a a play of Dread and the other thing with Dread is that because it just uses a Jenga tower it's actually really good for people who don't so to speak have experience with RPGs because you know there's no well which dice is that no it's just okay tell me when to pull a block you know even if you've never played Jenga it's not not hard to Understand and I mean, I've seen many versions of Jenga at the dollar store for crying out loud
1: Yeah, I've seen multiple versions of Jenga and I I do agree with you on the idea that it's good for people who can't Do math or can't do a math as quickly as possible Dread is definitely on my list because this is the truth is that a number of Jenga games get really intense really fast and that's weird saying because it's Jenga, but it is really cool to think about a horror game that is using a Jenga tower to build suspense. Mm -hmm. I I
0: think it's a wonderful use of an existing mechanic to do exactly what you need it to do.
1: And then there's another one on this list that you sort of wanted to talk about and that was Skeletons. Oh yeah, Skeletons. Skeletons, it just intrigues me
0: Um, and I don't know that necessarily how horror it is but I think it would be a great game for For a Halloween one-shot or or kind of a a short, um, you know, break campaign or whatever. And and the premise of of Skeletons is that, well, the PCs are are skeletons. And you all live in this tomb or or dungeon. And essentially, your job is to guard the, the, the tomb or the dungeon from all the adventurers coming in to take the stuff. And... The way it's it's intended to be run is, okay, you know, the the adventuring party invades the, the tomb or the dungeon and you have to fight them off and then you turn out the lights for a little bit of time to simulate the wait for the next group of adventurers to come in, you know, and, and they give some recommended times for how long to turn the lights off. But the other thing that happens is during that moment is... You then, I guess there's uh, questionnaires or, or suggested questions that you answer about your character that they start to remember something about their life before they were a skeleton. So like I said, I, I think it's it's an interesting game for definitely for like a Halloween one-shot. Whether or not it's, it's what I would classify as a horror game, I don't know. But I find the premise very interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think that one's really cool. And then let's talk about one that's a little bit more... The one that I've heard that's good for children a little bit more. Um, Okay. Moving down that list, and that's Little Fears. Little Fears is not necessarily a one-shot RPG, but it is more... Like, it it can be a little bit more long-running. But this is... And the tone reminds me of the old Goosebumps TV show or Are You Afraid of the Dark? That more horror but aimed towards children mm-hmm. and I think that's a that's a really cool market to aim towards and telling these telling these stories that can be aimed towards children is one of the things that if you have an older group of, say you have a group of teens 12, 13 year old kids that want to play RPGs, that want to do something that's not D&D or that don't know anything other than D&D I think you could play, you could play that game, Little Fears, and run a really interesting campaign, run a very scary campaign aimed towards a younger audience.
0: Yeah, it, it does look interesting. the The cover art is is vaguely reminiscent of me to like a young Scooby Doo, but I, I like the the concept.
1: Yeah, I, I really do myself because I think a lot of times horror RPGs especially get thrown into, well, they get thrown into these just, it's it's all adult or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. I think Call of Cthulhu does this, Vampire does this very much. There's a lot of really adult themes in Vampire the Masquerade. There's a lot of very adult themes in Call of Cthulhu. And I think it's it's interesting when you find a game that's a horror RPG that's not necessarily just aimed towards adults.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and the whole premise of this little fears game is essentially you play as children, but the, you're facing your fears as a child, but that they aren't real to the grown-ups. So you're on your own. And it's like I said, it it seems like a, a kind of a light fun take, like you said, could be very appropriate for for a younger younger group or if say it's an older group, but you children of the people who normally play want to have more of a family night as opposed to, you know, your dad and all his weird friends show up. You know, it it could be something just different.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really cool one. Also, Bluebeard's Bride is a complete polar opposite to that. Bluebeard's Bride is one that's very mature. Yes. But it's it's a really interesting one. You play as the different aspects of the bride's psyche. So basically it's dark fairy tale I've heard it played more you know more like a pirate story but yeah it it's this very you play as the different parts of the psyche of Bluebeard's Bride and it's a really interesting I think that's an interesting game I don't know it can be horrifying but it's horrifying for a different way I think the horror in Bluebeard's Bride is more along the lines of what happens to that to Bluebeard's Bride? Not necessarily what you're experiencing. It's not the cosmic horror. It's not. It's it's a more grounded fear. It's a more grounded horror. Very very heavy tones.
0: I think it's yeah. It's it's a more of an internal horror as opposed to an external horror.
1: And that that one can be really cool. I think. I, I I've definitely been wanting to get my hands on Bluebeard's Bride.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard it played a time or two. A, it's, it's very interesting, is what I'll say for it. I don't know that it's a game that I particularly want to play, although, you know, we mentioned this briefly, but I'm also the guy that, if I'm available and someone's running something that I haven't played before, there's a good chance I'd play it, so...
1: Do you want to talk about Soft?
0: I think it's worth bringing up, even if, just because of the, the concept behind it, whether you... You take Soth as its own game, or you just use it as inspiration for a non-traditional campaign in Call of Cthulhu or any other game. Um, You know, the basic premise in Soth is that the PCs are cultists attempting to summon this old god and are having to try and avoid the notice of the general public. And I think... If nothing else, like I said even if you don't play it as itself that the idea behind it is is something that could be very fun to explore
1: did you catch that it was diceless? Ooh, no I did not because I just brought it up on drive-through and one of the tags one of the system tags in drive-through is so it's one to three sessions three to seven players 16 plus but diceless low prep low complexity. Hmm, well,
0: hey. Wait, what kind of price tags on that one?
1: Uh, ten ninety nine. dollars Okay, so
0: that's not bad at all.
1: For a PDF. That's not... That's about going right. For about a one-shot, I would pay that for a one-shot. Yeah, Yeah. like I said,
0: I, I think it might be something worth looking into.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a cool one. Um, one of the ones that we were sort of interested in was ViewScream. That's more aimed towards playing online... They do recommend playing online. It's it's one hour to one hour thirty minute sessions, meant to be played over Skype or Zoom or whatever you choose to play over.
0: Yeah, that you know. Again, given the state of the world, I think it it looks really interesting. And in, in I mean, the cover is really intriguing.
1: Yeah, that that cover has my attention. Yeah, um, <laughs> for for the for the audio listeners of a audio podcast, it's a very Reminds me of H.R. Geiger, very much um, aliens-esque, you know that style art cover mixed with, well, the names written in what I would only describe as death metal font. Because yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I another thing it brought to mind was the um, some of the scenes from the Matrix of of the actual world as opposed to the in the Matrix.
1: And I'd just like to point out that that is a pay-what-you-want game. Ooh. So their recommended price is $6.66. But... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I thought that was funny. But no, it's a pay-what-you-want pay for that one.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think another one... Well, there's one more on that list, but I think we'll talk about that one later. But another one that was on that list that, that I had heard good things said about is one called Don't Walk in the Winter Wood. Which, as I've heard it, is played much more like like sitting around a campfire and telling spooky stories. And I believe I had heard that you're supposed to say everything in the past tense. You know, when you're describing what your character did, you say that, that they got up and went and did this thing. Not, well, I'm going to get up and go do this thing. Uh, but like I said, I heard some good things about that.
1: That could be interesting. I, I I would down. I would be down to try something like that. Although, again, that goes back to the we're the kind of people that you say we're playing this, and I'm like, all right, when? <laughs>
0: well, that's and hey, the on drive through the PDF for that was only five bucks. Right. Two to six players, average time two hours, folkloric horror. Looks like it could be you know a fun little thing.
1: Yeah, something to drop on a table at some point. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I was just saying, what, what, what else do you think we, we want to get into here?
1: I think we've covered pretty much everything. Do you want to do Game of the Week at this point? Well, I think,
0: you know, it's kind of one of our things. We should, probably should do one. I think we should definitely put a pin in this and, and maybe down the road do kind of a series on horror gaming or something with, with some guests because I think it is a, a genre that's largely misunderstood. You know, I've, I've had people ask me, well where's the fun in playing that kind of game and i don't really know how to explain it other than i know it's there i've experienced it but
1: it's hard to explain well let me put it out this way you guys listen to the podcast weekly what would you feel if maybe we shot for next october the entire month of october were just uploads for talking about horror games that we're talking about you know Four episodes just talking about horror games. Maybe we bring on a guest or two, and maybe shoot for next October. We do that.
0: That sounds reasonable. I mean, yeah, if
1: we. Yeah, what I what I'd like to hear is I'd like to hear feedback from our audience. You know, leave us a comment. Leave us. You know, if you're not on the Discord, get on the Discord. Me and Steve RPGs. Um, anywhere that you can find our podcast, leave us a comment there. I check pretty much all of our upload locations.
0: I said you. Do you check apple for
1: comments i don't have I access do to check that apple for comments yeah uh or i try to i not always on top of that if you have something you want to say to us directly if you have an idea for a podcast episode shoot us a line we're on facebook we're on discord we're very accessible <laughs> yeah
0: twitter you know the show twitter, show has yeah. a Twitter. the handle is is at and rpgs but the the display name is me and steve talk rpgs um you know, I, I have that one queued up on my phone, so I get those updates pretty pretty quickly. But yeah, you know, by all means contact us and, and hey, if we get enough demand on it, we might even expand it to more than a month.
1: Right. And one of the big incentives, which we didn't really talk about when we set up the Discord, but one of the things that we want to do with the Discord is we wanna have you guys play with us. Mm-hmm. We wanna run one shots and maybe a couple session campaigns of you know, you're running Delta Green at some point Mm -hmm. I'm looking at running you know that uh, Mutant City Blues I was looking at running it I'm looking Mm -hmm. at running different games and so join our discord keep an eye out we will be doing you know stuff we want to we want to have an active fan base we don't want to just put these episodes out and, and not discuss with our fans and not have our fans part of part of what we do not have our listeners part of what we do,
0: right? Well, and you know, part of our, our whole goal was to kind of kind of help people, you know, the listeners, whatever, help you discover some games that that you may not have heard of or, or different styles of play, different tones, you know, to to really help you understand just what is out there in the RPG space. Because look. Uh, I I don't know how to say this nicely. You know, Dungeons & Dragons, it's plastered all over the the front of all their books. The world's greatest role-playing game. Well, it's not my favorite role-playing game. It is a very fun game to play. But it's like anything else. I like a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But if you feed me peanut butter and jelly every day, I'm going to get tired of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No, and, and again, it goes back to our stated goal with the podcast is that we love RPGs and that's all RPGs. Mm-hmm. That's, we, we want to talk about not just Dungeons & Dragons, but we want to make you a better player, a better DM, or if you're completely new to the hobby, we want to get you into the hobby where you want to be. Because oftentimes, where people start in the hobby is Dungeons & Dragons, but that's not where they want to be. I know for me, I... I don't really care for high fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons is very high fantasy.
0: Yeah, I'm much the same way.
1: And so it's it we want to get people into the hobby and get you where you want to play. And like I said, get on our Discord, get on our Facebook, message the Facebook directly, message our Twitter directly. We you know, you're logged into it, I'm logged into it. We both check that pretty regularly. We definitely check. I try to keep the Discord updated and check regularly bear with me I'm still getting some stuff ironed out with it I do want to address one thing old episodes archived episodes of the podcast will be going up on you'll see those uploaded very shortly here we're going to get that corrected just wanted to address that for the people that are like where did episode one two such and such go just sort of a time thing yeah Uh, do you want to do game of the week or do you want to not do game of the week this week since we're already running a little bit long I
0: think we can do it you know I think like I said it's it's sort of, I think, are almost a trademark thing for us at this point. Game of the week.
1: Game of the week. So, to start my Game of the Week, I have Starhold, which is a space-themed survival horror. Which, survival horror is one of the, one of the genres of horror that I don't think... I, I, I haven't done a lot of research into survival horror RPGs, pen and paper RPGs specifically. But, it's one of the carries over from carries over from video games. Video games have a lot of uh, survival horror RPGs, and this one is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. I always love the idea of you and maybe a handful of people are stuck on an empty space station, empty spaceship, and you are stranded. You better have a good map of the station you better understand what needs done to keep this thing afloat and all of the suspense that comes with that Mm -hmm. the game has some really I talk about art a lot but the game has some really nice art Mm -hmm. when it comes to what they're showing it reminds me of the video game Dead Space and just it seems like a really interesting interesting game
0: yeah it does look, look pretty interesting to me
1: yeah, I, I definitely want to try and get this one tabled at some point in the near future.
0: Yeah, no, I'd definitely give it a shot.
1: And so that's mine. I kept mine short sweet and to the point. <laughs> what do you got?
0: Well, I, I as much as I try to avoid cliches a lot of the time, I I feel like given that, that we're talking about horror RPGs and I mentioned it earlier but I think you got to go straight to the granddaddy and that's Call of Cthulhu. And it's Actually, unlike a lot of games that came out, you know, initially in the early eighties, it's really not that complicated of a system to play. It's it's actually very simple to understand. In the newest edition there's a little bit of, of some slightly more complicated math, but it's it's still at its core, it's D one hundred roll under, which means you know, you roll with D one hundred, the lower the number on your dice is the better. It's very easy to tell if, if you've got a basic success because you look at the number on your sheet, you look at the number on your dice, and if the number on your dice is lower than the number on your sheet, you did it. You know, 7th edition brings into play, uh, I think they call it hard and extreme successes, which are half of your total and 20% of your total, which, a little bit of math to figure that out, but again, not, not all that hard, and it's stuff you can work out, Prior to actually sitting down to play, so it's it's not going to slow things down.
1: What I know for the newer editions, some of those Call of Cthulhu sheets had, I don't know, it, it, you know, like fan-made ones, but they had the half and twenty-five percent sections, so you could fill that in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where you where you need to be.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's not you know, and and then I believe a critical success is ten percent. Well, that's pretty simple. I mean, okay, you've got a a 70 so you need to roll a 07 or lower it's again a little bit of math but not nothing earth It's it's not add this add that add this other thing oh yeah i forgot this thing you know it's it's very simple in that way
1: i really like the d100 in call of cthulhu mm-hmm. i do
0: yeah the other thing the one of the reasons i bring it up is that because it's been around so long And the last edition of the book that I actually own is is the fifth edition, which is from the mid-90s, but it, it hasn't changed tremendously in terms of the basic structure, mechanical structure of the game. And so there's literally, you know, at this point, almost 40 years of material out there to source for adventures and ideas. So you know, while, while writing a horror adventure as the GM can be a little daunting and, and something that takes you a while to get the hang of, there's a ton of pre-written material out there that you can use, be it, you know, like I mentioned before, the long-term campaign, you know, the Mass of Narlathotep, you know, there's also uh, the Mountains of Madness one and Horror on the Orient Express, uh, which are, you know, three of the, the notable long forms. but there's just literally tons and tons and tons of stuff intended to be played as as one shots or short scenarios and then there are spin-off games from this as well you know be it the whole Delta green thing and fall of Delta green but there's there's a lot of material out there for you to play it in a multitude of settings as far as time periods and and everything so there's just a, a very very rich trove of material to access with Call of Cthulhu
1: yeah I, I definitely agree with that yeah and I think with that we want to thank you for listening to the episode I want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some play some horror RPGs
0: yes be kind to each other and go out scare each other and play some play some horror RPGs
1: Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. One of the things that really hinders a good a good horror RPG is I'm trying to find my thought. I'm sorry, I just lost my train.
0: <laughs> when it finds when it finds my brain out there rolling around,
1: you know, send it back. <laughs> One of the things
0: that can Nope, it's gone.